exciting. We're preparing for the temple priesthood. Yeah, a lot of good stuff, talking about uh, how the Lord supports us and our responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Before we get into our discussions, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So today we're in Doctrine and Covenants sections 106 to 108. In this section, the Lord calls Warren Cowdery as a local presiding officer, and he's commanded to seek heaven and its righteousness. The Lord is also going to talk about the patriarchal order of the priesthood, and he's going to outline the responsibilities of priesthood holders. He's also going to discuss the importance of using the priesthood in righteousness. The Lord also provides reassurance to Lyman Sherman, uh, who is told to strengthen his brethren in conversations, prayers, and in all things. Now, there's uh, quite a few things we can talk about in these sections. They're pretty dense, but we're going to focus in on three in particular. How the Lord supports his servants, fulfilling our duty to God and what that means, and the Lord's priesthood organization. So in order to help us to dive deeper into these scriptures and understand the context better, we have invited Elder LeGrand Curtis to be here with us today. Elder Curtis, would you join us up here? Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted by the chance to come and be with you today. Thank you so Thanks. much. So Elder Curtis, you're a General Authority 70 in the first quorum of the 70. Um, you served as the president of the Africa West area. Um, you were an adjunct professor at the J. Reuben Clark Law School. And you also have your wonderful wife, Jane, here with you as well. Well, I love this program. I love the chance to, uh, to learn from both of you and from our audience as we talk today. Thank you for that. So before we get into the sections, as you were kind of going through these and, and reading them and preparing, was there anything that stood out to you as especially meaningful or significant or maybe something we should all know as we go into them? You know, I, I think one of the interesting things, it's easy to look at section 107 and says, well, this is just talking about the man mm -hmm. because we talk about different priesthood offices. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the really fascinating things is, is as you read these verses, you get a real sense that this applies to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, learning your duty mm -hmm. and, and then doing it, mm -hmm. uh, the way the Lord sustains. This applies to women. This applies to men. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some particular priesthood offices that, that men have, mm -hmm. but the principles behind it and the priesthood itself mm -hmm. really is applicable for all the members. Excellent. In fact, I think that's a great lead-in, and I appreciate you saying that, Elder Curtis, too. That's something that is consistently important to me, and frankly, mostly because the prophet has, has asked us to understand that. President Nelson has a fantastic quote regarding the restoration of the priesthood, and he says the following. He says, how I yearn for you to understand that the restoration of the priesthood is just as relevant to you as a woman as it is to any man. I entreat you to study prayerfully all the truths you can find about priesthood power. In fact, as part of this quote, he specifically asked the women of the church to study section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants as well as section 84 and 107 which is significant that we are studying that today. So thank you, Elder Chris, for bringing that up. Yeah, so maybe we can jump right into it and start talking first about how the Lord supports his servants. So Elder Curtis, would you be able to give us a, a historical context to these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants? I'd be happy to. Section 106, uh, which, which uh, was, was given in November of 1834, involves someone being called to a, an, an office, which is something we can all identify with, although we don't, all, we don't find our names in the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's actually kind of a simple thing, but it's sweet. Warren Cowdery, who is the older brother of Oliver Cowdery, was being called to be the president of the branch in Freedom, New York. Now this could be a little confusing because the main body of the church has left New York, moved to Ohio, but we still had branches 
I think that's great. And what if we go into, can you help us maybe a little bit with section 107 as well? Sure, 107 is actually the mixture of a couple of different revelations that, that Joseph had. It, it, that we're now into 1835 and the church has gotten so big that they've got to do something, they've got to change a little bit the way they organize things. Typically, what they would do was would do things by conferences. Now, we still have conferences. Right. But they decided they needed to have councils, and they needed different quorums, different groups. And so Section 107 is just one of those really important sections about the organization of the church. And one of the things that I find fascinating here is we're in, we're in 1835 right now. So we're about, we're right at the cusp of the, of the Kirtland Temple to being dedicated. And so I love to look at sections when we're talking about temple, um, temple organization, temple structure, especially when, when women and men both enter into the temple and, and are given priesthood power through their endowment. And, and I love when we look at it in the context of the temple, what, what this really does apply to women as well as, as men. So we see those first 50 sections are really temple sections. And then we see, we see the end is really more of a priesthood structure being ordained to a priesthood office, which was what a, what a man would be. Yeah. And if I can ask a question, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show, this idea that all scripture was given to a, uh, a particular set of people in a particular moment in time, right? Um, these revelations were addressed to the saints of that, um, you know, in the, in the 19th century, but also they apply to us. Scripture is intended to transcend history to some degree. So I'm wondering, as you were reading through these sections, did anything kind of speak to you? And specifically, I'm interested in, did any of the verses or, or phrases offer encouragement uh, about your own service in God's kingdom? Yeah, Michael. One of the things I, I really liked out of section 106, albeit it's a brief section, when the Lord says, to Warren, notwithstanding the vanity of his heart. As I contemplated that, it, it reflected to me how God understands that, that we are human, whether we're a man or a woman, a young man or a young woman that's being called. He understands that we're human and that we're going to make mistakes, but he gives us opportunities, just like he did to Warren, to serve, to grow. And in doing so, it's a manifestation to me of his love for us. He knows our faults, but he knows, and he's given us this opportunity to grow. And the priesthood serves as a bit of a, a ladder to help us grow and progress. Again, man or woman, it gives us that opportunity to grow. I really like what you're saying because it, it really hits home this idea that like, we're not striving for some unattainable ideal of perfection so that we can then serve the Lord. I mean, wherever we are in our journey, he can meet us there. An interesting thing happened to me. I, a couple of days, or a few days after I'd been called, mm -hmm. I was in a meeting in my old calling with a group of, of young adult women. And they said, oh, Brother Curtis has been called to the 70, let's have him bear his testimony. And as I stood up and I bore my testimony, now I'd borne my testimony hundreds, thousands of times before, but it was different because not only was it my testimony that I was saying, it was, it was now with this added charge that I was to be a special witness of the name of Jesus Christ. What I discovered in that moment was, was that the Lord's serious about calling the weak things of the world mm -hmm. and giving us strength and power. I'm so grateful that he's so good to us. I, mm -hmm. I love what you can learn about God standing with us in these sections. Elder Curtis, I know verse 30 has been significant for you. Can you maybe just kind of walk us through verse 30 a little bit? I, I, absolutely. It, it, now, this is 
Verse 30 is specifically talking about the, the presiding quorums of the church, first presidency, the 12th. And, and then it says, the decisions of these quorums, or either of them, are to be made in all righteousness, in holiness, in lowliness of heart, meekness and long-suffering, and in faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And then it says, because the promise is, if these things abound in them, they shall not be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. I, I love the way that it describes that if, you've, if you're in a calling, you're supposed to make your decisions humbly, righteously, with love and charity, that those are the traits that the Lord expects of men and women who go forth to serve. And the promise too here, I mean, that if we do all these things where we have these characteristics that we're not going to be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord, I don't think that's, just, that's talking just about we're going to learn more about him or we're going to learn more about his will, but really we're going to get to know him as he intervenes, as he walks with us, as he stands with us in our service. I think we have a, a video um, that, that speaks to this as well. Hi everyone, my name is Vinny Dichianco Costillo and I am from the Philippines. A lot of people are being challenged emotionally, financially, even spiritually, I guess. But I guess that's what the scriptures and Come Follow Me is teaching us, that the world is not perfect, but the assurance is from Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. I'm just so happy that there is Come Follow Me, that it helps me and my husband keep on track and grow our faith together um, in this chaotic world. Speaking of some of those difficulties, um, Elder Curtis, if I may, I'm going to kind of point you towards verse 22. The Lord asking for us to, to pray for the first presidency. Can, can you speak to that as well and the significance of that and, and why that verse is important to you? It's been years ago. I remember one of my readings through the Doctrine and Covenants. I read, a, I came across this verse, and 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 it really struck me that that we, as members of the church, play a key role in the success of the first presidency. Now, you know that you wouldn't necessarily think that they're they're so good, they're righteous, they're inspired of God. But but the wording is that of the Melchizedek priesthood, three presiding high priests chosen by the body, appointed and ordained to that office. And then these are the words you're, you're, the, to which you're, you're referring. And upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the church form a quorum of the presidency of the church. I mean, you think about that, that puts on us the responsibility that, that they are upheld by the confidence we have, by the faith that we have, and that we pray for them. So... You know, I can't remember how many years ago it was that that struck me, but I thought, okay, I'm going to, every day I'm going to pray for the first presidency. There's a tangible lift that comes because we uphold people, not just with our faith and not just with our prayers, but with the confidence that we have that, hey, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thanks. So this has been an excellent discussion of how the Lord supports his servants. Maybe now we can talk a little bit about fulfilling our duty to God. You know, we've talked about the historical context between in sections 106 and 107. And again, Elder Curtis, I'm wondering if you could give us some historical context to section 108. It's kind of an interesting section, but in regards to fulfilling our duty to God, I think it's, I think it's a, a fascinating story. It is, it, it is an interesting thing. We have this character 
by the name of Lyman Sherman. And, and he's not one who is particularly well known in history, but he was a valiant servant of the Lord, which I think there's a lesson right there that, yeah. that it's not always the real prominent people that help move the church of God forward. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a member of the church in Kirtland and, and there was a lot of dissension in Kirtland, but he stayed loyal to the prophet Joseph Smith and to the Lord. He's one that when Joseph was imprisoned in, in Missouri, that he went and visited him. I mean, he, he's, he's one of those early ministering brothers in the yeah. church. And ultimately, it, there's some sense that he, got, he may have caught, gotten sick during that visit to that cold, awful place and, and died and never found out that the prophet Joseph had designated him, Lyman Sherman, to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and fulfill a vacancy. You know, you just look at good people like that and, and you think of what reward they have in heaven because they fulfilled their duty and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's partially, you know, we've talked about women in priesthood and men in priesthood, and sometimes, sometimes I have a concern that some would say, you know, by, by talking about women having the priesthood, we're demeaning men, or by talking about men holding priesthood offices, we're demeaning women. But I think what, one of the things that you're saying here, it kind of in context of all of this is, we, we are trying to help all people have as much power and ability to bring souls to Christ as possible. And, and that's the purpose of the priesthood. The purpose of the priesthood is to save souls. And wouldn't we want everyone to save souls? Wouldn't we want everyone to be a Lyman Sherman, regardless of whether or not he's called as an apostle or not, to have these kinds of qualities that he had? And in verse 30, to have these kinds of righteousness and holiness and meekness is difficult to, to be able to fulfill the role of, of one who's a servant for the Lord unless we have these qualities and characteristics. So one of the things that jumped out to me as I was reading through these sections is, so I'm a very goal-oriented person. I like to make lists of things and check it off as I go along. And I'd like to, you know, whenever I read scripture, I say, you know, what are the commandments the Lord is giving? What are the instructions? What encouragement is he offering? And there's just so much stuff <laughs> in these sections. Yeah. Like, I mean, if we were to make a list of the kind of characteristics we need to uh, serve faithfully, of the kind of responsibilities we're to have as priesthood holders or general members of the church, um, it would be a very long list. And my, my question is for you is sometimes I don't feel like what I'm doing is, and this just goes back to inadequacy, right? How do we know when, we, when we've done enough? Uh, which is to say, how would you respond to somebody who consistently feels like um, they're inadequate in their service? They just haven't done en- enough. Yeah, Jose. Always there's something to do. To me, it's like reading the scriptures. I start reading the scriptures uh, very deeply since uh, 12, 10 years ago. And I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. And always there's something to do. So let me, let me ask you a follow-up question, though, and this is for anybody. How do you not feel overwhelmed if it's, you know, you do your best to do something and there's just one more thing, and then you do that and there's just one more thing? Like it's almost suffocating. Yeah, Donna. A couple years ago, I struggled a lot with the fact that um, I didn't know if I was doing enough or if I was enough to like make it back to my Heavenly Father. And that just filled my head every night. And I decided to go to my bishop and talk to him about it. And he helped me realize that um, we're in a state of progression and that we are, every day we're just living each day instead of worrying about our future um 
focus on the now and the work that you need to do today. I, I, I just love that because I, I am a person, I see a need and I want to help. But the, the Lord recognizes that we cannot serve everyone. And I think that there are a lot of things we can do with that. We have delegation. We have other people that are helping and responsibilities. But I know for one thing with me, the thing that has helped the most is to go to the Lord and say, Heavenly Father, who can I bless? Where is my stewardship? In the position that I'm in right now, how am I doing? You know, a priority checkpoint from time to time. He'll, he'll, he'll guide you. Daniel, you know, I, your question makes me think of a, a, a something that George MacDonald said, who's, you know, a Scottish uh, theologian. He said, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Yeah, great. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really helpful to think about. And, and the example he used was, you see a young child learning to walk. And the parents are all pleased. And, you know, the mm -hmm. brothers, the sisters, they take a video of it. Are they satisfied? Is that how they want that child to walk for the rest of their life? No, they want them to get better and eventually run and jump. Mm -hmm. I think that's how God feels about us. He looks at our efforts. He's pleased. He's really happy at what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But he'd want us to keep doing better. And we, that doesn't need to be discouraging to us because in the meantime, he's still pleased. Yeah, that's great. So this, this Revelation section 107 comes as a result of a letter that is being written by members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as they're trying to prepare to serve this mission. And I, I find it fascinating because these are some really good men, but in the letter that they write, this, this phrase stands out to me. He's, they say, our worthiness has not inspired us to make this request, but our unworthiness. It's, it's like they, they recognize that the Lord has called them, but they're they're nervous. They're, they're not perfect. They're going out to preach the gospel. These are the quorum of the 12 apostles, and it's their unworthiness that's pleading for a revelation. And I think that that's real for all of us. I think it's, it's a safe and sacred place to recognize that we aren't enough. You know, we talk often about how, how the Lord will come where we are, but we also talk, President Nelson talks about how Moses had to go meet the Lord at the top of the mountain. I, I think the Lord has different standards for different people at different times and different places. The Lord always requires effort, but that effort could be stuck in, in Missouri with all this turmoil, or it could be the effort that's going to require these missionaries then to go to the temple and then, and then leave and go throughout the world. The Lord's going to meet us in different places and he's going to require different things of us at different times. Yeah, he's willing to work with us, right? He's willing to work with us for yeah. sure. Yeah. So this has been a great discussion of fulfilling our duty to God. Now maybe we can transition and talk a little bit about the Lord's Priesthood organization. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand that the Lord's Priesthood organization that exists on the earth is not the same exact organization that has always existed. I mean, we talk about Adam as, as a prophet, and you see this starting right there in verse 41. This order was instituted by the days of Adam and came down lineage of the following manner from Adam to Seth, and he continues on all the way through, and you see... Um, verse 48, Enoch was 25 years old when he was ordained under the hand of Adam, and he was 65, and Adam blessed him. And he saw the Lord, and he walked with him and was before his face continually, and he walked with God 360 years. And we continue on, and we, we see this, this history of the priesthood and this organizational structure that was being passed from father to son. President, President Benson actually talks about a familial order at that time. During the times of, of Jesus Christ, Elder McConkie actually talked about how that order was no longer possible because there was not a family structure as there used to be. The Lord changed that organizational structure into what we have now, which is the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, which is what we see happening with the restoration of the priesthood in the times of Joseph Smith. 
So we see this organizational structure, this more public structure, this administrative structure today with first presidency, quorum at the 1270, then we have you know, deacons, teachers, and mm -hmm. priests, and, and that organizational structure. So Sister Curtis, I know, I mean, just from my own experience in having callings, many callings are like a partnership. I know you've served beside your husband for the entirety of his, of his church career. I'm wondering, what have you learned from those experiences? Well, we've had great blessings because of my husband's call. We've been married 45 years, and we've just gone and done whatever the Lord asks us to do. And we have felt great blessings. We've served in Italy. We've served in Africa. We've served at home and abroad in many ways. And the blessings are just so, so great in our lives. I can just feel of the strength, the good health, the blessings that come to our children. They appreciate the service, and we feel being uplifted and maintained also by the confidence of friends and family and the prayers that are said on our behalf. In Doctrine and Covenants, it says to Emma Smith to go at his going to Joseph Smith, and I've just always taken that. I'll go wherever he goes, mm -hmm. and the blessings have been wonderful. Thank you for that. I love how President Oaks distinguishes between um, priesthood power and authority in, in church versus priesthood power and authority at the home. And I find it fascinating how you're supporting each other in your callings at church, but also recognizing from the stories you just talked about with your own family that, that you see each other and you work together as, as equal partners, as the family proclamation talks about. Elder Perry has a quote where he says, remember brethren that in your role as a leader in the family, your wife is your companion. Since the beginning, God has instructed mankind that marriage should unite husband and wife together in unity. Therefore, there is not a president or a vice president in the family. The couple works together eternally for the good of the family. They are united together in word and in deed and in action as they lead, guide, and direct their family unit. They are on equal footing. They plan and organize the affairs of the family jointly and unanimously as they move forward. And that's, that's what the Lord is also talking about here with Adam and Eve entering into that order of the priesthood together. That's, that's that they're on equal footing. But in the church, it's, it's different. You have your calling as a Relief Society president, and he's supporting you in that calling, and he has had a variety of callings that we've talked about, and you're supporting him in that calling, and you do so as a, as a couple in love, which, which I think is such a great example of, of how the church and family is both run. I think there's this uh, really interesting notion as, as you have the descriptions of the, the duties of the different uh, presidents of different quorums. Yeah. In the language on the, the duty of the president or the office of deacons, it says that he is to sit in council with them. I, I love that notion of leadership. That it doesn't say you boss them around. <laughs> you sit and you counsel together. And, and I have seen that in the very high levels of the church, and I've seen it in, the, in, in other levels of the church where... What we do is we counsel together and we hear each other's ideas and we're, and we're not thinking of what we're going to say to argue against what they're saying. We, we listen to it. And it also, I'd also like that they're to be to teach in their duty, edifying one another, building them up. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the word edify without going back to my Italian language days and edificare is yeah. to build. Spanish, edi, edificare, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that what you're doing is you build, the, you build each other up. And that's what serving together in the church is all about, is that we leave each other feeling better, that we can do it, that we can go and, and, and make a difference doing the Lord's work. Jane, do you have any thoughts or comments? I, I just go back to section 106. I love verse 8, where I, meaning the Lord, will give him grace and assurance 
wherewith he may stand. So wherever we are, in whatever calling, in, in life, we pray that the Lord will give us his grace and assurance. Thank, thank you. you. So this has been an excellent discussion on the Lord's Priesthood organization, and thank you so much for your, for your comments and insights. Father Curtis, we'd like to thank you, especially for being here. Thank you for your insights, your great service, and, and Jane as well, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate both of you. We'd like to thank you also in our studio audience. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful for your, your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your insights, your testimonies. It's been wonderful having you here today. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your questions and comments and insights via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you in the studio with us sometime, but if you can't come, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thank you. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.